Welcome back to Children of the Living God. This is a podcast series on the book of Hosea, and we're trying to get people into the Old Testament. I know the Old Testament can be intimidating. The Old Testament can be so foreign and alien to us, but we want to make it accessible and maybe even enjoyable. And we're going to start by diving into Hosea, this prophetic book that speaks about God's steadfast love, the fact that God, in light of our sin, responds to us with mercy and kindness. So if you've been following along, Hosea chapters 1 through 5 introduce us to Hosea, the main character, the author of this uh, book, and he's commanded by God to marry Gomer, who is a woman who will repeatedly cheat on him and go after other lovers. And Gomer and Hosea's relationship is an acted out parable of God and Israel's relationship. Israel has been spiritually unfaithful, like an unfaithful spouse. But what we see is that despite her going after other lovers, her taking all the gifts of God and wasting them on sinful pursuits, God says that, one, he's going to discipline her. He's going to cut her off from her idols. He's going to let her experience some of the consequences of her sin. But all this will be for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation, that God, the faithful husband, will win back his wayward wife, and they will be together again in the end. And this is the promise that God gives to Israel. When we get to chapters 6 and 7, we see a little bit of a dialogue. In chapter 6, Israel calls for a return to the Lord, but God rejects her cries because he sees that her heart is not pure. He sees that she doesn't truly want to repent of her sins. She's just mad that she's experiencing the consequences of them. And it goes into Hosea 7, which paints a vivid picture of just how bad things have gotten in Israel. So we're getting a deep dive into the bad news of how bad things have gotten. But all of this is to be a dark backdrop for the light of God's mercy to shine. So this is Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, chapter 6 and 7. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but now he will heal us. He has injured us, but now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you, asks the Lord? For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want to show you love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. Gilead is a city of sinners, tracked with footprints of blood. Priests form bands of robbers, waiting in ambush for their victims. They murder travelers along the road to Shechem and practice every kind of sin. 
Yes, I have even seen something horrible in Ephraim and Israel. My people are defiled by prostituting themselves with other gods. O Judah, a harvest of punishment is also waiting for you, though I wanted to restore the fortunes of my people. I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. Samaria is filled with liars. Thieves are on the inside and bandits on the outside. Its people don't realize that I am watching them. Their sinful deeds are all around them, and I see them all. The people entertain the king with their wickedness, and the princes laugh at their lies. They are all adulterers, always aflame with lust. They are like an oven that is kept hot while the baker is kneading the dough. On royal holidays, the princes get drunk with wine, carousing with those who mock them. Their hearts are like an oven blazing with intrigue. Their plot smolders through the night, and in the morning it breaks out like a raging fire. Burning like an oven, they consume their leaders. They kill their kings, one after another, and no one cries to me for help. The people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as a half-baked cake. Worshiping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is gray, but they don't realize they're old and weak. Their arrogance testifies against them, yet they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find Him. The people of Israel have become like silly, witless doves, first calling to Egypt, then flying to Assyria for help. But as they fly about, I will throw my net over them and bring them down like a bird from the sky. I will punish them for all the evil they do. What sorrow awaits those who have deserted me? Let them die, for they have rebelled against me. I wanted to redeem them, but they have told lies about me. They do not cry out to me with sincere hearts. Instead, they sit on their couches and wail. They cut themselves, begging foreign gods for grain and new wine, and they turn away from me. I trained them and made them strong, yet now they plot evil against me. They look everywhere except to the Most High. They are as useless as a crooked bow. Their leaders will be killed by their enemies because of their insolence toward me. Then the people of Egypt will laugh at them. Israel begins with a call to return to the Lord for healing, and it seems sincere. They want to know God. They want to turn. They believe that God can heal and restore them, but God rejects her cries. Why? Because he knows that her love is like the morning dew. It's like a cloud that just evaporates. It's flippant. It's here and then it's gone. It's not genuine. He sees right through her. She's just mad that she got caught in her sin because in nowhere does she actually admit to her wrongdoing? Nowhere does she actually say, I have sinned against the Lord. And because of that, God reminds her, look, I've sent my prophets to you to cut you up, to warn you against sin, but you refused. And you keep your religious offerings going, but I don't want these sacrifices. That's not what ultimately matters. What matters is that you obey me, that you obey my word. Actual, genuine obedience and love towards God. And that is manifested by obedience to what he says. And when he sends his prophets, prophets are his, they're like God's uh, prosecutors. They come in and they point Israel to the covenant, to the law of God and says, look, God promised that if you reject God's word, what's going to happen? You're going to get kicked out of the land and God's going to withhold his blessings from you. And God says, this is just like your father, Adam. Adam in the garden was given all the blessings of God. And he was given one command, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, 
What's going to happen? You're going to die. And sure enough, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree. And God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to bless according to his word. He's also faithful to punish according to his word. And that's what he does. And sin enters into the world. And it's the same idea when God makes a covenant with Israel in Deuteronomy, right? He says, if you break my covenant, you're going to die. You're going to be cut off from the land. And God is faithful to his word. But God also promises in Deuteronomy that if you repent, if you turn away from your sin, turn away from your idols, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bring you back into the land and I will be your God and you're going to be my people. That's his promise. God's arms are wide open. But again, in response to this mercy, in response to this call for genuine repentance and confession, Israel doubles down on her pride. She becomes uh, what God, God describes her as a half-baked cake, which is the idea of a, of a loaf. A cake refers to a bread, like a slice of bread. It's like pita bread, right? It's half of it is burnt to a crisp on an oven, making it totally inedible. What does that mean? Israel's sin has made her worthless. It has made her uh, against the purpose which God created her for, to worship God and to spread his law and to spread his glory across the earth. And now she's a foolish dove. She's flying to all these idols and flying to Assyria asking for help and Egypt asking for help. Both nations that have at one point or will at one point enslave Israel. She's going to these false lovers who can't actually help her. And God sees all this sin. She thinks that she can pull one over on God, but God knows all of her wickedness. And as a result, God says that he's going to catch her in a net. He's going to catch that silly dove and discipline her to humble her so that she will finally come to her senses. And the final verses of chapter 7 show the depths of human pride. Israel refuses to cry out for God's mercy. Think about that. God says, I just want you to cry out to me. I want you to cry out to me to help you and to heal you, not to go after all these other nations and these false gods. But she seeks help from everyone except for the one who actually loves her. And it says that she even gashes herself. She cuts herself, makes herself bleed to appease false gods or false powers to give her grain and wine. She wants all this provision and it's destroying her. And that's what happens when we chase after idols. It makes us numb and it enslaves us and it's ultimately destructive towards us. All that in addition to being offensive to God. And in the mercy of God, God disciplines us. Right? He disciplines us to instruct us, to straighten us up so that we stop acting like foolish doves and more like obedient children. And that's what God's going to do to Israel. He's going to let them go into exile. He's going to let them suffer for their sins for a little while so that they come to their senses, so that they confess their sins and return to the one who can heal them. Pride is the mother of all sins because pride refuses to acknowledge God's lordship over our lives. We'd rather suffer than admit God is right. This is the insanity and irrationality of sin. It's amazing. In the Gospels, Jesus asks all these sick people, do you want to be healed? And then he, and then he commends them for their faith. Why? Because they actually believe not only that God can heal them, but that they need to be healed. And that, that there's a connection to, to this picture of God not only just healing us physically, but hearing us, healing us spiritually. There's something sick with our souls. There's something wrong with us that we need to repent. We need to confess. We need to say and call sin what God calls it. We, we, we need to get better. But do we actually want that? Do we actually want to be healed? We have to ask ourselves that question. Or maybe we want to be healed, but we want to do it on our terms. 
We don't want to do it on God's terms. We don't want to do it in accordance with what God has set forth in his word. But what does God require? He requires humble repentance. And that's the gift of the gospel. That if we humbly repent, we can trust the promise that in Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, our sins are wiped away. Our sins are gone. That we can receive the healing of forgiveness offered in Christ. The full price paid. But we're going to reject that if we hold on to our pride, just like Israel did. We're going to be senseless, foolish doves. Rebellious, wayward brides. When God wants to transform us into people who reflect his glory and know his love and live according to the way he has made us to be worshipers. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Leave a review, share with some friends, let people know about this, and we will see you next week.